Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all this morning here worshiping the Lord as also we open the Word of God together. And uh, today we begin a new series um, in the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, would you open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1? Malachi chapter 1. And uh, we begin today a series that will run for the next few weeks. And we're going to study this book, a short book of the, New, the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 1. Um, let's read verses 1 through verse 5. Malachi chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. The Bible reads, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord. Yet I have, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, up, they may build but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Have you, have you ever, um, if you have teenagers... Oh, you ever seen teenagers, huh? Um, anyone 13 to 20, 18 or whatever, still living under your roof. And, um, and then the father says, or the mother says, please clean up your room. Right? It's a big mess, right? The, you know a teenager's room, right? It's a big mess. Uh, shoes, clothes, you know, stuff everywhere. And um, so you walk in the room and you say, you're not going out because you haven't cleaned your mess. Well, what do you mean? I already cleaned it, right? Well, what about all the clothes? Well, they're not on the floor. Yeah, but they're in a big pile over there, right? Yeah, but what about, uh, you know, my shoes? Yeah, you just threw them in the closet like that, you know? Uh, what about all this stuff? Well, we just pile it up in the corner, pile it up on the bed, right? You just put the sheets on top of the bed, all wrinkly and badly, right? And it's not really made nicely. So he says, I've done it. Right? I've cleaned it. I've done it. But then you say your standard is different, right? No, it must be organized. It must be neat. It must be done well. You ever, have you ever seen that? Have you ever had that happen to you if you have teenagers? Huh? So, or had had teenagers? It happens, right? Well, some, some of us men do that too, right? <laughs> um, you know, um, but anyway, I, I don't want to create any marriage problems today. So, um, you know, we, 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 we do things, but we don't do them the right way, right? And, and something similar is happening in the book of Malachi. See, the book of Malachi is a people that are doing certain things. They're just not doing them God's way. And then we're going to be looking at that um, today. So, from the Old Testament times, God has always had a people. 
So I'm going I'm to I'm show you, I'm going to give you an introduction to the book, and then we're going to end with focusing on verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1. But think about this. From the old times, from the beginning, God has always had a people. In the Old Testament, he chose Israel as his people, and through them, he gave revelation, he ruled the world, he, he, he ruled spiritually, right? If you wanted to become a believer, you came to Israel to become a proselyte, right? He dispensed his word through his people, Israel. However, God had a people nationally, Israel. They were his people. He always, he, he had a people. He chose a people nationally. But not everyone who was part of God's people nationally was actually part of God's people spiritually. They were with God's people, God's people spiritually, but they were not part of this remnant, the spiritual people of God. You can be with the people of God. You can be around the people of God. You can belong to the people of God in a church, for example, as a member, and then yet not know Jesus Christ. And this is what's happening. Most of the people are like this at this point of Malachi. They all belong to the people of God nationally, but they do not belong spiritually. They're all lost in their sins. But Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's the end before we have a transition into the new. So let me show you a little bit of a timeline. If you guys can put up this, the, the slide, it's up there. Um, so I'm going to show you a, a little bit of a timeline so you are able to see where we are and, um, and you kind of find your place in history. Um, let me see if this works. So is this on? Mine is in the right one. All right, that's okay. Must be a, a demon of technology, huh? <laughs> no. So, um, so show me the next slide, please. There you go. So there is a timeline. We're struggling there, but anyway. So let me just uh, forget forget about it for a second. In 605 BC, 605 before Christ, we are at the point where, is, where the Jewish are very much in their sin. The Jewish are very... They, they, the Lord has promised that he will destroy Judah because they have sinned. So in 605, a first group of Jews is taken captive to the, to the city of Babylon. So the, the, the Babylonians come and they cap, capture the city and they take a large group of people captive into exile. So then, in 586, they completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. So now Judah has no city, has no temple. The Babylonians come and capture everyone, and they take them to, to, to Babylon, and they destroy the temple. They take all the treasures from the temple. But then, as God had promised, 70 years later, in 535, the first group of Jewish people returned to Jerusalem and began rebuilding the city. Then a second group returns 10 years later uh, with Zerubbabel. And then the second temple is completed. The first temple that Solomon built was destroyed. Then the second temple is completed. Um, so 
they're working hard. Ezra is there. He is preaching the word. And so they built the second temple. And then 458, a third group returns. Now it's been almost, uh, you know, 100 years since the first group returned. And some of them are still there. So they're still returning back to Jerusalem. And Malachi writes around 433 B.C. So think about this. 535, 433, that's 100 years. So it's been 100 years since the people came back from exile. Almost 100 years have passed since they came back, and they have not learned to honor the Lord. They were taken captive for 70 years. They know the history. Now this is the second or third generation of captivity, and they know, they know their parents, their forefathers were in captivity because of their sin, but the people have not learned to honor God. They have not learned the consequences from the consequences that they suffered. So the exile successfully eradicated idolatry. But now they have a worship that is false, superficial, and meaningless. It's mechanical. They're heartless. They're mechanical and heartless worshipers of Yahweh. They have not learned much from the exile. So in Malachi, God is angry. Malachi presents a God that is angry. In fact, in, in, in verse 4 there, you, you see that God is angry with the wicked. God is angry with the wicked, especially Edom. But then we'll see that God is angry particularly with His own national people, Israel, because they're not worshiping the way He demands. And Think about this. Uh, so it, God is angry because He's holy. He's, he takes His worship seriously. He is a holy God, and He will not accept less than what He has demanded because of His holiness. But we make very little of His holiness today sometimes. We think of God as a buddy, right? My own body. Jesus, God is my body, right? How can He not love me? We think of Jesus as somebody who is weak. Everybody takes advantage of him. He lets them kill him. We think of Jesus as baby Jesus, right? In Christmas. Baby Jesus, baby Jesus, right? We think of God as a genie in a lamp, right? You ever seen that movie Aladdin? So you got the lamp, and then they rub the lamp, and the genie comes out. Master, I give you three wishes. And we think of Jesus as a genie in a lamp. Would you just say the magical words in the name of Jesus? Or, Lord, I ask you. Or, Lord, give me. Or, Lord, make me prosperous. And then we just think of God that way, right? But God is holy. And we see His anger and His wrath here. And when Jesus comes back, Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back as baby Jesus. He is coming back as a conquering lion with a sword on his hand to destroy all his enemies. So that is the God of the Bible. He's a loving God, but he is a holy God. And so he is so angry in this book. You know how angry God is right here? He gives this message through Malachi. And he gives... And the last message of the Old Testament and is one of condemnation. But then there would be more than 400 years before God speaks to His people again. 
God is angry with his people. It will be more than 400 years before God speaks again. And the next time he sends a messenger is the one that is prophesied in chapter 3. John the Baptist, my servant who's coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. So God fulfills the promises he makes in, in Malachi and he sends his messenger, but it's 400 years later because he takes his holiness seriously. Now, to understand the book of Malachi, we need to understand the structure of Malachi. So I'm, I'm just giving the intro of the book, so when we go through the book in the next uh, six, seven weeks, we will know what the book is about. But I want you to look at what the structure of Malachi is like. It's very simple. It is mainly seen in a dialogue form. God says a statement or an indictment, and the people respond with disrespectful attitude and even surprise. So God says, for instance, let me show you. Look at, um, look at chapter 1 and verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. So he gives a statement. But you say, how have you loved us? They disrespectfully respond. And then God has to explain how. It's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. In chapter 1, later on, he says, You have despised my name. And then they say, How have we despised your name? And they say, Offering polluted food in the altar. So then they say, um, God says, You have polluted my altar. And says, How? By offering. By saying that the Lord's table may be despised, he said. I will not accept your offering, he says later on in chapter 3. Why would you not accept our offering, says the people of Malachi. And God says, because you're unfaithful to your wife. Then he says again in chapter 3, you have robbed me. And they say, how have we robbed you? And he says, and your tithes and offerings. So this dialogue thing happens throughout the, the, the book, right? And then the response of God is, can, be, can take a few verses for him to respond how they have robbed him, how he has loved him, how they have polluted his altar, right? And so this is the, 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 the structure of the book of Malachi. And as we go through the book, we want you to see that, to see how God is responding to his people. Now the Malachi, the name Malachi just means my messenger, my messenger. And that's very important to the book because Malachi is about to give an indictment. He's about to, um, to condemn people per se of what, because of what they're doing, because of the lifestyle they're living. So then it is very appropriate that God sends a guy whose name is my messenger. So they know, hey, it's not me who's saying this. It is the Lord who's angry at you. It is not the messenger. It is not the leader. It is not the prophet who is saying this. It's not that he's, he doesn't like you. It's not that he's against you. It's God who's angry. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel. Over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, the Bible says, thus says the Lord. Mainly the prophets. And so, we have, uh, we have Malachi saying, it's not my message. 
And, and, and by the way, here, think about this. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. And his prophecy is not primarily about foretelling the future. It's primarily, primarily talking about the condemnation of the people. And the message of the Old Testament prophets was mainly a message of repentance. Repent! 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 Because you may be misguided today and think that the work of the prophet is always to foretell the future, right? How many people out there claim to be prophets? A lot of people are claiming to be prophets, right? Give me prophecy. Yes, I receive it. I see a Lamborghini in your future, right? I see a big business in your future. And then people typing on Facebook, Amen, I receive it, man of God, right? And everybody's typing. And then share this picture of, you know, of money and prosperity to come your way. Oh, and everybody's sharing the picture on Facebook. Everybody's typing, Amen. Imagine if these false prophets started saying, Share God's condemnation upon you. <laughs> Look at what God says for, uh, uh, to you. <laughs> Very few people would be typing, Amen, right? The job of the prophet was mainly to preach repentance. Yes, there are some prophecies here in Malachi of future. But it's all about the Messiah. The Messiah that is coming to destroy his enemies. See, that was the job of the prophet. And so Malachi is prophesying to a people that is so far away from God. They claim to be God's people. Yet, they're not worshiping God the way he demands. So, now that we know what Malachi is about, when this happens 430 years before Christ, now that we know what's going on, they've come from exile, and they're not worshiping well. So, let's look at some practical things in the book. Who is Malachi for? Who is this book for? For whom... Should this book be? Number one. For those who are just going through the motions. Malachi is for those who are just going through the motions. This one. This is one of the central themes of the book of Malachi. Of his whole prophecy. It is a problem of superficial Christianity. Superficial belief. The shallow Christianity, the shallow believers, right? Which is what we have in Malachi. The people were trying to be engaged in worship. They are bringing the sacrifice. They are going to the temple. It is just very monotonous. It is mechanical. It is boring. It is a burden to them. And it is not the way God commands. So Malachi is for those who are just going through the motions. Those who say, hey, I'm here. I'm in church. I come. I do. I read. I give a little. Right? But it is just going through the motions. There is no heart in it. There is no love for Jesus. It is love for self. And it becomes monotonous. It becomes mechanical. And this is what the people of Malachi were doing. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to be flipping through the book. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But you profane my name. You profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and, it is, and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. Look at verse 13. But you say, 
What a weirdness this is. And you snort at it. Oh. Says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence. Or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands? Says the Lord. So they're snorting at it. Ah, oh, again, the temple. Ah, oh, again, sacrifice. Oh, what a weirdness this is. Oh, how burdensome this is. Is that you when it comes to spiritual things? Malachi is for those who are going through the motions. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. You have said, it is vain to serve God. Look at what they say. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of, your, of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? It is in vain to save, serve God. Yeah, we're doing it, but there's no point in it. They're just going through the motions. So Malachi is for you this morning, if this is you. If your worship has become mechanical... If your worship is just something you do, because that's what you've always done. If you find it boring, if you find it burdensome, if they have to drag you here, this is for you. You are like the people of Malachi. Just going through the motions. Just mechanical. Just like a robot, right? Sunday morning we flip, the, we flip on the church button, right? And that's what we do. Then we switch it off at the end. And our worship becomes mechanical and monotonous. How do you know you're just going through the motions? Well, number one, your Christianity is superficial. If your Christianity is very superficial, then that's how you know. Number two, you find spiritual things boring. You find preaching boring. You find devotions boring. You don't want to go to another Bible study. Because I got a lot of things to do. And uh, you know. They're going to talk about the same thing again. Worshipping is not a priority. Right? Other things are a priority to you. But coming to worship together with God's people is not a priority. You know. Other things are. Whatever it might be for you. But worshiping is not a priority to you. Coming to meet with God's people here may not be a priority to you. Doing things for God is burdensome to you. You snort at it. It's a burden to give. To sacrifice of your, of your resources, your time, your efforts. And most likely, if this is your case... All the time. Well, Christians can fall into this ditch. Okay, often. But if this has been your life always, then you probably are not saved. You probably are not saved. Christians can fall into this. But if this is your life, you probably don't know him. So, Malachi is for those who are just going through the motions like the people of Judah. Look at number two. Who's Malachi for? Malachi is for those who are giving God the leftovers. 
Malachi is for those who are giving God the leftovers. Another theme we find in the book of Malachi, God is angry at His people because they're giving Him the leftovers. The people were sacrificing. Yes, God demands sacrifices. And they're sacrificing. But their sacrifice, the offerings they're presenting to God, are the leftovers of what they have. And thereby... They're robbing God. They're robbing God and offending God. And God is angry at them. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave, in in Deuteronomy, He gave specific instructions for how a sacrifice would look like. It had to be a perfect animal. If it was a sheep or a lamb, it had to be perfect. No blemish. A one-year-old male, no blemish. No spot, no wrinkle per se. Not, not the sick, not the one that was imperfect, but the most perfect animal you were supposed to sacrifice God and give Him the best of everything you had. But the people are bringing the leftovers. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8. When you offer blind animals... Look at this. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept it or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So they say, time to sacrifice. Look at that blind sheep. That's not going to make it, right? It's going to die anyway. Let's just take it to the Lord. We don't need it. We don't need blind animals, right? So let's take it to the Lord. We don't need those animals. The lame, the sick. Oh, that one's lame. It's going to die anyway. That one's sick. (laughs) Let's just offer it. You know, let's just get it over with. It's going to die. Look at verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. But you say, what a weirdness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat, who has a male in his flock, and vows it. He says, Lord, I promise it to you. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He says, I am king. I am great. I am God. I deserve the best. I'm the creator. And then you promise me, yes, Lord, I will give you my best. I will give you my all. Everything I have belongs to you. How many times have we said that in our lives? Oh, what I have is the Lord's. I'm, I'm I'm just receiving God's blessings. But then we give Him the leftovers. It's time for sacrifice. Hey, says to the servant, right? Hey, Iwe, you see that lamb? It's about to die, the lame, sick animal. Well, it's about to die. Before it dies, let's just go sacrifice it. Let's give it to the Lord. Malachi is for those who give God the leftovers. Are you giving God the leftovers? 
Did you plan every month to set aside an amount of your salary? Say, this belongs to, it all belongs to the Lord. But Lord, I promise you that I will give you the best that I have. And this is for you. Or do you just come to church and if you have 50 guacha, you'll put it in the offering box. Because it's what you had left over from yesterday. Is that you? Are you offering God the leftovers? Are you offering Him the leftovers of your time, your effort, and resources? That's how you know you're giving God the leftovers. If you have a little bit of money left over, then you give to the Lord's work through His church. If you have a little bit of time, then you go, right? And do a little bit in church or help a little bit. If you have, if you don't feel so tired, well, I'll give a little bit of my effort to just go to church an hour and a half, right? And we get God the leftovers. Is that you? We are therefore robbing God, he says in chapter 3, of what rightfully belongs to him. If you give him the leftovers of your time, your money, your efforts, you're robbing God. And his indictment is for you. You have robbed me. He's saying to you. Are you robbing God? Number three. Who's Malachi for? For who is the book of Malachi? For those who struggle to understand God's love. And we're going to park here for the next few minutes before we end the message. But this will be our biggest point as we look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So Malachi is for those who struggle to understand God's love. The Bible is very clear that God loves His people. And we see it. In fact, God is not just loving. God is the definition of love Himself. The Bible says God is love. Yes, the Bible says he loves us, he is loving, but the Bible also says he is love. So he is the standard of love. He's the greatest demonstration of love. God loves you. We know that. Everybody talks about it. But at times, we don't understand it biblically. We don't understand what it means that God loves us, and we don't understand how that is seen practically. But Malachi helps us with that. And here we have the first dialogue in the book. God says, I have loved you. And they respond in this disrespectful attitude, defying God. And they say, well, how? How have you loved us? See, they're struggling with understanding God's love. They don't understand God's love. They don't understand that God loves them. So God is going to teach him some truths about his love in Malachi particularly in the first five verses. And so, there are two kinds of people. There are two kinds of ways in people in which, there are two kinds of ways in which we struggle to understand God's love. What are those two ways? There are those who struggle, well, there's one S, those who struggle to, who, oh, sorry, no. That's, that's correct. Who struggles to understand God's love? Those who question God's love 
because of their difficult circumstances. So the first people that struggle to understand God's love are those who question in Him, so who are questioning Him because of their difficult circumstances. Have you ever had something difficult, challenging, a trial that's come to your life? And then you question God? Well, this is how the people are feeling. They went into exile, right? They had to rebuild the walls, they had to rebuild the city, and they had to rebuild the temple. And now, God, are you saying you love us? How is that even possible? You let us go into exile. And they're questioning God's love. God says, I have loved you, in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? We don't see your love. We don't see you in our circumstances. How? These are those who struggle with God's love because of their difficult circumstances are usually believers that feel that somehow they have the right to demand an explanation from God. God, why? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why not that one who is very sinful? Why me? So, there are those who struggle to understand God's love. And they question His love. They want things to go their way. And when they don't, they question whether God loves them. And their questioning of God's love may not completely be directly, and not may be, it may not be completely and directly said and spoken. Right? Such as, God, why me? There are some who do say that, right? But our questioning of God's love may come in the form of a complaint, a bad attitude, discouragement, indifference. If you complain about your circumstances all the time, you complain about the, the status quo, right? How things are in your life, in the world, around you, your society, your family. Always complaining you don't understand God's love. If you always have a bad attitude, you don't understand there's someone that loves you. If you are discouraged because of your trials and difficult circumstances, you have not understood God's love yet, the biblical way. And if you are indifferent, you need to get a Biblical understanding of God's love. I Look, I've never met anyone, and I don't think you have either. i never met anyone that questions God, any believer that questions God's love when things are going well. When things are going their way, when everything is going right, huh? when everything is smooth and comfortable, I've never met anyone that says, ah, why does God not love me? <laughs> right? Why is He doing this to me? Why is He giving me so much? Right? No, we don't. We question God when difficult circumstances come. So, who are those who question God? Those who speak of God's love when in fact His wrath is upon them. Those who struggle to understand God are those who question His love because of difficult circumstances. And those who don't understand God's love are those who speak of God's love when in fact His wrath is upon them. Have you heard so many unbelievers? This is true usually of false Christians. 
Very religious people that have never repented of their sins. This is usually true of them. Religious unbelievers never question God's love. They say, oh, God gives me a job. God takes care of me. God gives me stuff, right? He's given me a family. So they're overconfident because they do not think of God's love in a biblical way. They look at God as a genie in a lamp, right? That has given them all their wishes or at least something similar, right? But... They haven't thought of it in a biblical way. And this was sometimes the case of Israel. They took God's love for granted. Yet, in Malachi, we see that God's wrath is upon them. And God's wrath is coming, as we see in Malachi 3 and 4. So, those who struggle to understand God's love are these two types of people. But... What does the passage say about God's love? What do we learn about His love? We're still in point number three. Malachi is for those who struggle to understand God's love. But what what does the passage teach us about God's love? Number one, God's love is unquestionable. God's love is unquestionable. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? And then God is going to explain how he loved them. How can you question God's love? He is basically, by his answer, saying, how can you question? My love is unquestionable. Let me show you. He says, I love you. And they dare to ask him why. They were questioning his love. This is what at times we do. And we shouldn't do it. We just mentioned that. But they're questioning his love. God's love is unquestionable. It is seen in so many ways. If you are a believer, for starters, God has given you salvation in Christ. You are in Christ. You are his child. You have an inheritance. You have the promises. You have a future secure. A hope is secure. And then there are secondary blessings. And tertiary blessings like material blessings. If you want to put it that way. But God has loved you. His love upon you is unquestionable. Every breath you draw, it is because of God. God's love is unquestionable. Yet, we many times question it. Whether directly, or by complaining, or by indifference, or by discouragement. But His love is unquestionable. Second thing we see about God's love. His love is primarily salvific. Look at verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. So he chooses whom he will for, for salvific love. He decides whom he chooses. He has saved you because of his grace. See, he reminds them that cho- he chose Jacob and not Esau. Why is that important? I want you to think of the Old Testament story in Genesis. God promises Abraham the blessings. And then through Isaac... The, the promises continue. And then Jacob is the one that receives the blessings. But here's the thing. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. But the birthright was for Esau. 
because he was the firstborn. So the promises should have gone through Esau. But one day, Esau comes very tired from the field, working in the fields, and Jacob has prepared a soup or some type of food. And then Jacob's, and, 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 and Esau says, hey, give me some of your soup. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give you some if you sell me your birthright, your firstborn status. And Jacob says, and, and Esau says, okay, that's fine. He sold his birthright for a plate of food. But it wasn't just his birthright. It wasn't that he was a firstborn only. It was that through him the, the, promise, the promises should have come. He disregarded God. He thought of the promises as, as nothing. So he disregarded that. And he sold his firstborn status because of a plate of food. However, God had already chosen that to happen, right? We don't know how that works. But God had chosen already Jacob. But equally... Esau despised that. And so he became wicked. That was a wicked act saying, God, you have promised this, but I don't care. I'll sell it for a plate of food. And then the promises, the God's love, comes salvifically through Jacob. When we say that his love is salvific, we do not mean it's not only for when you become a Christian. His love, his salvific love is for when you become a Christian, for when you are a Christian walking in this world in sanctification, and for some day when you will be glorified. See, salvation has different stages. The initial salvation, when you become a Christian, that's the one decision you have to make, one-time decision. The Lord gives you salvation. And if you haven't made that, you are lost in your sins. But that's the initial part of your salvation then you enter into what we call the christian walk the progressive sanctification and in that progressive salvation or sanctification you are walking in christ and he is helping you in his love he is helping you but then someday your life will end and you will come to heaven and you will be glorified that's the end of your salvation so god's love is primarily salvific Beginning, and the process, and the end. In His love, He chose you. He saved you. He made you His child. He, in His love, He sanctifies you today. And in His love, sometimes because He's sanctifying you, He gives you trials to test your faith. Because He loves you. And in His love, someday He will give you eternal life in heaven. For all eternity. But well, there's a problem in today's way of looking at, 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 at God's love, right? We, we understand God's love primarily in, in, in terms of material blessings. God loves me because I have stuff. People post on Facebook, right? Oh, God is good all the time. But usually it's when you buy a new car, when your business is doing well, when you finish school, when you got your degree, God is good, But very few people say, oh, thank, I thank the Lord because this week I found out that I have cancer. Right? Because I lost everything I had. God loves you still and is sanctifying you. His love is primarily salvific. God's love is seen that He chose some people. 
He chose you to become His child. Yes, you repented, but God had already chosen you. Out of all the peoples of the world, God chose Israel. And out of all people, He chose you to be His child. The Jewish had undermined this. And sometimes we do too. But God's special love is upon them. It is horrific. Now number three. God's love must be seen in light of His holiness. Look at verse 4. Verse 3, I'm sorry. Yet, but Esau I have hated, he says, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will be rebuilt, we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they might build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. So number three, God's love must be seen in light of his holiness. God is holy. And because He is holy, He will not only bless His people in Christ, but He will also punish the wicked. He will punish those who have never trusted in Him. He mentions that Edom, or Esau, is another name for Esau, Esau's people will be destroyed forever. He destroys them. They were pagans. They rejected God through their father Esau. And they tried on many occasions as a people to destroy God's people, Israel. So they're wicked. They hate God. And they will be destroyed, he says. So they may, build their, they may try to build their country again, but I will not allow it, God says. Because He is holy. Because He takes His name seriously. Because He is... He... Sorry. That means I need to finish soon, okay? <laughs> sorry. Um, so He is holy. God is holy. And the wicked will not prosper. The wicked will not prosper because God's love demands holiness. Many people talk about God's love only, right? And we need to preach God's love, but God's love must be seen in light of His holiness. Because He loves you, He demands you to be holiness. And in His holiness, think about this. We talk about Jesus loving us because He died for us, but... In His holiness, God put His Son to death. He loved you in holiness. Because sin could not go unpunished. You were sinful and you couldn't earn salvation. So God had to punish your sin. And He punished your sin in Jesus. That's how much He loved you that He put His own Son to the cross. Because He is holy. Yes, He is loving. But sin must be punished. So love must be seen in light of His holiness. You might think, you might have many material things and think that that's the reason God loves you. But material things are not always a blessing. Sometimes material, material things could be a curse to you if they become your God. But sanctification is always a blessing. Now look, the last thing. Verse 5, your own eyes shall see this, and anyone, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. So God's love must be magnified. People, he tells his people, they will witness the ultimate destruction of the wicked of Edom. And you and me will witness the destruction of the wicked. And God will be magnified even in the destruction of those who have never trusted in him. So, 
His name, will, His love will be magnified. That He loved His people, died for them, saved them, and He destroyed the wicked, those who rejected them. When your eyes see what the Lord has done, you will magnify His name. When you realize what God has done for you, you must magnify His name and His love. When you see that the wicked perish and the, and the righteous, by God's grace, are being taken eternally to heaven, you will magnify His name. So, we have said that Malachi is for those who are going through the motions, those who give God the leftovers, those who do not understand God's love. And let me end with this. Malachi is for those who forget that judgment is coming. Malachi is for those who forget that judgment is coming. The book of Malachi ends. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 says, Behold, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, his coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify our silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that they will leave them neither root nor branch. So judgment is coming. The book of Malachi, is, for those who forget, the judgment is coming. In the Bible we see again and again, that God will not let sin go unpunished. He will punish the wicked if he does not repent of his or her sins. In the book of Malachi, we see that God is angry. God is, his wrath is upon people. He will send judgment one day. And listen, if you are his child, judgment will not come upon you. If you are trusted in the righteousness of Christ, judgment will not come upon you. He will judge your works to see if you receive rewards or if you lose rewards. But if you are just religious, if you don't know him, if you think of his love as something material only, if you never repented of your sins, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And it will be swift. And it will be destroy you forever, for all eternity. So this morning, we have seen that God's wrath is, is seen in this book. God is angry, and especially for those who claim to be God's people and are not. If you are one of those that has you've deceived yourself into thinking you're a Christian just because you were born in this country, just because you know some verses, just because you come to church sometimes, but if you don't know that you've trusted in Christ, listen, judgment is coming. And Malachi warns that. He warns his people, Oh, you all think you're God's people. Most of you have not repented. And you know what will happen in judgment? Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Oh, verse 2, I'm sorry. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping 
like halves. So, look at chapter 3, verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who, does not, those who do not serve God. So judgment is coming and it will separate the righteous from the wicked. It will separate true Christians from false Christians. It will separate the sheep from the goat. It will separate religious people from true worshipers. Judgment is coming. And God is so angry at sin. God is so angry at sin that He put His own Son to the cross. Now, it seems like this book, it seems like it's an angry God, right? And He is. His wrath is real. But you don't have to suffer His wrath. You can receive His love. You can receive His love. You don't have to suffer His wrath this morning. His wrath is real, and we see it in this book. Most of the book is about God's wrath. First John shows us more about God's love, but this book shows us so much about His wrath, and His wrath is real. If you have not repented, you don't have to face God's wrath, because it's already been poured on Jesus Christ. If you trust in Him, if you repent today, He will be your justification. He will be your Lord and He will be give you His love. If you're a Christian today and you're guilty of false worship, if you're guilty of giving God the leftovers, if you're guilty of just going through the motions, this is the time right now. Repent. Come to the Lord in repentance. Come to the Lord today. If you're giving Him the leftovers, if things have become boring and burdensome to you, if other things take priority, take priority in your life, I think today is the time and the day for you to come to terms with God. If you're just doing work, because that's what you do, even if you're in Bible school today, if you're a minister or future minister, and you're just doing because that's what you do, it is time for you to come to terms with God. But if you're not a believer today, if you're a false Christian, if you're a religious person, it's been a long time for you. You need to repent because judgment is coming. I hope this goes in our hearts and minds. And as we go through the book, we keep all these introductory matters in mind. Let's pray. and Let's ask for the Lord's blessing on His Word and in our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humble, and we marvel at what you said to the people of Malachi. People that had become so religious that were doing, but they were not doing it the way you demanded. Lord, you know how guilty I am of this sin sometimes. How sometimes I give you my leftovers and go through the motions. Lord, I, as I have Spoken to you in private. I, Lord, again, I ask you to be with me. to Forgive me, Father, if I have dishonored you in this way. And for all my brothers and sisters right now. If they've dishonored you in that area. If they've forgotten about your love. If they are going through the motions. If they're giving you the leftovers. Lord, would you bring a revival in this church? Would you bring us to our knees? Would you break us, Lord, so you can put us together the way you want us? Worshippers that are true, that are honoring to you, that truly worship you from our hearts. 
And if this morning somebody does not know you, Lord, would you bring them to repentance? Judgment is coming, but they don't have to face it because Jesus has faced judgment for them. Lord, if there is anyone, any religious unbeliever today, please, Lord, speak to their hearts. And as we go through the book of Malachi, for those religious unbelievers sitting here in our church every Sunday, would you bring them to repentance, Lord, I pray. Help us to understand this book as we go through it and to honor you the way we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.